0: Our next lesson comes from the book of Acts. This is um, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. We'll read and then we'll pray. Uh, When the apostles had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven... Will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Uh, Let's pray together. Thank the Lord for his words to us. Uh, God, we are thankful this morning, Lord, for sacred space and for the gift of your word in particular, for all these holy things that are meant. Jesus, to lift up our eyes and to help us, God, see into where you are, to feel into where you are. And by some miracle of your presence, Lord, and the power of your spirit, I pray, God, actually be with you where you are. So my prayer this morning is, Lord, that you would thin out the space between us, God, that whatever might separate us, the sin in our own hearts or lives, our distractions, our distractions that you would, God, take authority over those things, God, and close the gap. Pull us in, Lord, draw us to yourself. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, So today is the last Sunday of the season of Easter. Um, If you started this Easter journey with us, um, you remember me saying that we had 50 days of celebrating and feasting, Um, to do throughout the Easter season, and uh, so we have. That's the call and tradition of the church. Specifically, we've been um, here at Christ the King through the book of Acts, thinking about and giving thanks for the fact that we have the Holy Spirit because of the resurrection of Jesus. So um, if you back up a little bit, in other words, what's the point of Easter and what's the point of resurrection? Like, why does it matter? Is it something that just happened way back then, 2,000 years ago? Or is it something that has real bearing and real meaning um, on our lives now, here, And, of course, the answer is yes. (laughs) It does, in fact, have real bearing and real meaning on our lives here and now. And so we've spent the last few weeks thinking together about what that is. What is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Um, What is he doing in our lives? And so um, this week, we're called to remember um, not just the resurrection of Jesus, but, of course, that as he was resurrected, Jesus was also ascended, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. So we're reminded in the creed that there was an Ascension Day. And so just so that you know, I know it was a normal Thursday for you, but in the church calendar, Ascension Day was Thursday, which is 40 days after Easter. Every year, the church is called to remember, um, acknowledge the fact that we have an Ascension Day, 40 days after resurrection, that these events in Acts 1 took place 40 days after the resurrection. And then the disciples went and hung out in Jerusalem and prayed, devoted themselves to prayer and the apostles' teaching, Um, for 10 days before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and so the Spirit came and the church was born and so we've been reflecting together on okay well what does that mean um, for us Jesus said of course um, before he was ascended it's good that I go away and I have um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that one, because I'm not so sure that I agree. <laughs> um, and I, had I been there, might have protested a little bit to be like, are you, in, are you entirely sure that it's good if you go away? And all the more reason, of course, than to just, like, ask the question, well, what do you mean? Like, in what way, in any way, is it good that he's not here? Well, that's or that he went away. And I think the answer to that question has everything to do with what we believe and how we live out our convictions about things like resurrection, heaven, and the Holy Spirit. And Actually, you can't answer the question in a positive. You can't agree with Jesus unless we have a firm conviction, a firm understanding about heaven, what it is, what it's about, about resurrection, what it is, what it's about in the Holy Spirit. And so just because it's the last season, or last Sunday in Easter, I want to make sure That we have a firm foundation with respect to what we believe about those things. It's been a while since we talked about it on Easter Sunday. If you were here with us on Easter, this bit of it will be a review, I hope. And I would love it if I bored you to tears for the next, like, two minutes because you were already fully convinced of the things that I'm talking about. What a gift and a grace. I mean, I would shout. Truly, I would. I would. Um, But just in case that for some of us it's new and maybe we need to be reminded or to go back over and refresh it. And here's why is because um, all those people that spend many countless hours and gallons and gallons of ink writing and doing theology, um, you know, there have been times where I have thought that is a lot of energy spent on things that I am not entirely sure end up finding feet in the real world, you know, and that may be true. But this is one of those times when theology really, really matters, I think it's shaping the way that you live more than you realize that it is. So I'm going to talk about heaven and resurrection first so that we can answer the question, why would Jesus say that it's good that he goes away? What did he mean? Why is the ascension good? Because you can't really celebrate it. You know what I mean? It's like we can acknowledge that it happened, we can remember it, but like actually celebrate the fact that he ascended and he left. How? Unless we can answer the question, why is it good that he goes So what do we believe about heaven and resurrection? Resurrection is, most simply put, and if you're note takers, I would commend this to you because few books have changed my life. I read a lot of books, and accumulatively they have changed my life and shaped me. But there are precious few that I would say, this book actually did change my life and the way that I live. And that's a book called Surprised by Hope by the good Bishop N.T. Wright. And it was in large part because I heard him say things about heaven and resurrection that I had never heard before in my entire life. And so he is the one um, who has given me my operating definition for resurrection. And this is what he says. He says, resurrection is life after life after death. Mm Mm-hmm. Let it sink in. Think it through. Life after life after death. In other words... You're going to die, and when you do, you're going to go be with the Lord. That's what we believe, is that to be away from the body, Paul says, is to be with the Lord. What a gift, to be in his presence, to be at home with him that way. That's a gift, to be in heaven with him, actually. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, paradise with a capital P. So somewhere, they went somewhere together to be with the Lord, and yet... We can call it heaven, but we have to be really clear, so long as we're clear, that heaven is not the end of the story. Because according to N.T. Wright, and I would argue, according of course to our Bible, that heaven's not the end. That there is a life after life after death. And that of course is the resurrection of our bodies. The whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, tells the story of our ultimate hope which is to be resurrected and reunited with God in our flesh in this world. That's the hope in the picture we're given in Genesis, and it's the hope in the picture that we're given in Revelation 21. All the way through, from beginning to end, over and over again, texts like Romans 12 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 12, Job 19, all of these passages pointing at a day when, as Job says in Job 19, I will see my Redeemer on this earth, and even after my flesh has been destroyed, him I will see with mine own eyes in this life, on this earth. What a promise, Job being one of your oldest books of the Bible, by the way, an ancient text if there ever was one, and yet resurrection being preached even there. Reunion with God, real bodies, real earth. Our hope, then, in short, is that the kingdom of heaven, whatever Jesus was talking about and what he meant by that, is for this world. And I know that that may sound like, duh, but I can't tell you how many people I have heard say, and even if they can't say, they sort of think that the good news and the hope of Easter is that we get to go to heaven when we die, what is good about Easter? What's good about resurrection? Well, it means I get to go to heaven when I die. And please hear me, y'all. That is not untrue. Nobody's more excited about it, arguably, than I am, to go and be with the Lord. And when Tim Keller says, I'm not afraid, I'm going to be home with Jesus, I know what he means. To be home with the Lord, to be with Jesus, that is our home for sure. And yet, the hope of the Bible, the hope of this faith, the hope of Israel, the hope of Christian faith, this faith is that the kingdom of heaven, God's rule and reign, is meant for this world. And it does matter. And it will shape the way that you live if we don't believe it. Because otherwise, what we're hoping for is escape. Do you know what I mean? that I would be whisked away to heaven when I die to get out. And I would argue that that, in some ways, shapes our thinking and our living more than we realize that it does. Um, I love the hymn, for example, How Great Thou Art. Yeah? Beautiful. Um, But listen to the words of the hymn. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. I'll fly away. Anybody grow up singing the song? Yeah? I'll fly away. From these prison bars, I'll fly. To be home with the Lord. And it's not untrue, of course. To go and be with Jesus is to be at home. Paul says, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is there. But Here's the thing, we cannot misunderstand what he means by that. So do you know, my question to you, Christian, if you sit here, and if you're not a Christian or you're not sure how you feel about the whole thing, um, you know, just you can listen. (laughs) And I'm curious what, what you would think. But for the Christian who's already decided where your hope lies, Do you know what it means for you to be a citizen of heaven? Because I suspect that for many of us we would say, well, because that's my ultimate destination. That's where I'm headed. That's home. Kind of. In a sense, that's true. But listen to the rest of the verse. Here's what Paul says. Their minds are set on earthly things, those who do not know Jesus. But our citizenship is in heaven, And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will become like his glorious body. In other words, our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we are waiting for a Savior to transform our bodies. Do you see what I'm saying? For Paul... That citizenship in heaven was not about being whisked away out of here towards heaven, but that in fact it was a promise that heaven was making its way and advancing towards us to reclaim us, renew us, and redeem us. And here's why that matters for a number of reasons. We don't have time to talk about rapture theology right now, but as you might imagine, I have some concerns about it. Not the least of which is that we didn't talk about rapture at all until about the 1800s. And it was invented by a man named John Nelson Darby, who was, I must confess, an Anglican and a sincere one. But it is not our finest theological contribution. And here's why. Not to mention the psychological trauma that many of us grew up with, that we would come home suddenly or be driving down the road and find the driver of our vehicle suddenly whisked away to glory while we sinners were left to careen off of the highway into a ditch. And if none of you ever had that terrifying thought, um, good for you. (laughs) Wasn't fun. Um, So those problems notwithstanding, it has real biblical issues, real theological issues not the least of which, y'all, is that the people of God must know that our ultimate end is in our like aim, our direction, because it's God's aim and God's direction is not away from trouble, it's towards it and through it. Amen? If this world is hurting, if this world is suffering, if this world is going to hell in a handbasket, well, then guess what direction I'm going? With it. Because that is the direction that my Savior has taught me to go. And if we start turning and running the other way, then what happens to that world that's in a basket headed towards hell? You Can't reconcile it. Not with this gospel, not with this Jesus. His spirit, who raised him from the dead and now lives in me, has aimed my heart and my life towards the suffering, towards the hurt, towards the hard. My hope is rescue, but it is not escape. And I'm going to be rescued with all of you, not just me, and not just those who think like me. That's gospel. That's good news. Easter people, we believe in a renewed and a transformed and a rescued earth. The hope of heaven. One day, God's space, which is heaven, it's what the psalmist calls it, my space, The earth, which currently exists like this, not like this, but like this, pressing in on one another, that's the image of the Bible, is that the kingdom of heaven is leaned in, pressing in, storming the gates of hell, leaned in, pressing through, and that one day, by God's gift and glory, these two spaces will do this, just like they were always meant to do, will interlock. That's the vision and the goodness of Revelation 21. The early church read Revelation 21 and saw heaven's coming. The New Jerusalem is coming into our space, not the other way around. And so, because heaven is on its way here and now, then I can get to work acting as if my Lord is already king. Do you see the difference? N.T. Wright has also said that Ascension Day should be, interestingly enough, our namesake is Christ the King, so Christ the King Sunday is our namesake day. N.T. Wright says, actually, the day when Christ became king, when he took his seat at the right hand of the Father, is not at the end of the story, but on Ascension Day. Jesus ascended, and he ascended where? Into heaven to take his place at the helm of creation, as an already inaugurated king. He is Lord, not some glad day, today. And I'm a citizen of heaven. And so my responsibility by virtue of the spirit in me is to make this place look as much like home as possible. How do we do that? The kingdom of heaven will one day be the law of the land. This was the hope that gave rise, for example, to those brilliant and subversive black spirituals. You know the ones I mean? Uh, Songs like steal away to Jesus, steal away, steal away home, I ain't got long to stay here. Or the other one, probably better known, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Now, these songs were inspired by a hope for a home away from slavery. That is true. A home where kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven, could be the law of the land. That is true but they were used, y'all, to fuel a very this-worldly resistance. They didn't call Harriet Tubman Moses for nothing. They sang those songs in the fields because to the ears of their masters, it was them singing as if their hope was for another world, a hope for death, and life in another world where they could be swooped away to a home. And slave masters were all too agreeable. Yes, you sing for heaven. Where, that's your home. No, but the people of God knew better. They sang those songs trusting and knowing that God was the God of Israel. We sang it over and over, or read it over and over in the psalm this morning. God is the God of Israel. God is the God of Exodus. That's for this world. Redemption, revolution, resistance is for this life and this world. And it was those songs and that hope that changed the world is changing, it's still. Amen. Do we believe that? They did. They do. N.T. Wright says this, In the Acts of the Apostles, the point of the coming of the Spirit which we celebrate next week at Pentecost, isn't that the Spirit will comfort us in our loss of Jesus and take us to be with him. And I love the collects, but if you pay close attention, which none of us, or few of us do, <laughs> we really should. <laughs> As an aside, the reason it's called a collect is because in In the church, way back when, when they would have prayer meetings and everybody would popcorn pray and pray all together for a certain thing, like, I don't know, justice, when they would pray for that. And then at the end, somebody would pray a collecting prayer and collect all those prayers into one prayer, writing it down. And those collected prayers came to be part of your liturgy. So when you read those prayers, they're very, very old, and they're the summary of prayers prayed by real Christians about issues just like this. What does Ascension Day mean for us? and in this one we're pray we're praying through the collect that you know the holy spirit would put our hearts with jesus in heaven and that's true it's true so long as it doesn't reinforce the idea that that's ultimately where we're headed to be away from this life to be like with jesus the point is that the spirit is given so that through the work of the church the kingdom may indeed come on earth as in heaven that is why acts is what it is and in case you might think that that would lead us into triumphalism, with a church striding through the world, imposing a theocracy on it, which arguably we've tried to do. Some of us imagining that God's kingdom will be forced on an unwilling world by an all-powerful church. Acts makes it quite clear that the... Please listen, please hear this. The method of the kingdom will match the message of the kingdom. The methods of the kingdom of heaven must match the message of the kingdom. The kingdom will come as the church, energized by the Spirit, goes out into the world vulnerable, suffering, praising, praying, misunderstood, misjudged, vindicated, celebrating. Always, as Paul puts it in one of his letters, bearing in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in us i'm the only one that's good the kingdom will come as the church energized by the spirit goes out into the world vulnerable suffering praising praying misunderstood misjudged vindicated celebrating always carrying in my body the death of jesus so that the life of jesus might be made manifest in my body thanks be to god that is the way of the kingdom of heaven and it is pressing in on you. Not far away. Not like this. That is not the message of the Bible. And that we need Jesus, this great big old bridge, to you know, stretch himself from one side onto the other so that we can close the gap. I understand what that means. And in some very real sense, that's true. Jesus is a mediator. He has closed the gap between me and God. But God is not that far. He is near to you. John would say on the Isle of Patmos, and think about this, John was an exile. The apostle of Jesus, the one whom Jesus loved, was in exile on Patmos, dying old, and the church was persecuted. He couldn't do anything. He felt helpless and hopeless. And there Jesus gave him a vision of heaven. And he invited John to climb up a mountain, to cross the great chasm. No. What was the image he gave John? Open the door, John open the door I'm right on the other side that shapes and changes the way that we live how you might ask I'm so glad you asked Peter says Peter, Paul says in Colossians I set my heart in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of the father I set my heart in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of the father Which means that as I go through my life with my heart in heaven, with Jesus, I am taking him who is my heart by the Spirit and drawing his life into my life as I live in this present. Does that make sense? My hope of heaven, where the kingdom of heaven is the law of the land, Where justice is as it should be, where I love my neighbor as myself, where I'm less vain in Jesus' name than I am here presently now, I live into those things, not so that I can enjoy them in the great wide after, but so that they can shape my living now. The Holy Spirit taking the law of the kingdom of heaven, putting it through my life today, for right now. The angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? Would those same angels say the same thing to the church today? People of God, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven today will come again in the same way. Now go wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you can know what it feels like to live life like Jesus lived it, not just watch him do it. And too many of us, y'all, are watching Jesus do it and trying to imitate him, the outside, when the whole hope of the church, the gift of resurrection, is that we have the power of his spirit animating through my life so that I can know what it feels like to see the kingdom of heaven come out of these hands. So I can do what he did. Greater things than these, Jesus said, if I go away. You'll know what it feels like to heal the sick. You'll know what it feels like to do justice for the poor. You'll know what it feels like to choose mercy. And what a gift. It also means that our methods have to match the message. You're meant to live your life in this world like he lived his. And here are just a few examples. I'll leave you with this. If I'm meant to live my life in the way that Jesus lived his, then here's the good news for me. That means, firstly, that praise is my mother tongue, because where's my home? I'm a citizen of heaven. Heaven is my home. Heaven has always been and will always be my home, where the kingdom of heaven is the law of the land. And because heaven is my home, praise is my mother tongue. And here's what grieves me so much about the church is that we've been robbed, y'all, of our native language, like exiles who've been taken from their home. If praise feels unnatural to you, you need to know that something unnatural has happened. And that is why it feels unnatural for you to praise him, to glorify God in your real life because you were meant to, you are made for it, and that is the ultimate trajectory of our story. It's where we're headed to praise him. I don't know what that looks like for you but that you would find a way to do it in your own body here and now in a way that is native and natural to you like Jesus did. What a gift. Hope. So it's something we can ask the Spirit for. What does it mean to reclaim praise as our native tongue? Prayer is the source of our strength. It is in heaven. If praise is the mother tongue of heaven... Then prayer is the source of the strength of heaven. Then prayer is the source of my strength. Praises my mother tongue, prayer is the source of my strength. And finally, the way of love and truth, no matter the cost to myself, is the law of my heart. The way of love and truth, no matter the cost to myself, is the law of my heart because it's the law of heaven. And so what is true there on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven, that's what it means to focus our minds there and our hearts there. But it can't be for escape. It will train us in the wrong direction. I once heard a story. I'll close with this. There was a woman who was trying to, I think she was trying to swim, be the first woman to swim the coast of California the full length of it. She got in the water. Her mom was in a rowboat beside her to encourage her along the way. And she swam, I can't remember how many miles, struggling. And at some point she gave up, and she asked to be pulled out and into the boat. And when she got into the boat, she discovered that she was less than half a mile from the shore, she told reporters after the fact, she said, I think if I had known how close I was, if I could have seen the shore through the fog, I would have made it. And I wonder for the church, can we see the shore through the fog? The Holy Spirit in your life is the voice of God that reminds you how close we actually really are, how much work is actually really being done, helping us to see what we can't see without him, so that we can make it. And if you need the Lord to be that in your life, then what a beautiful day to ask him to be that. Amen. May it be so. Encourage us while we swim. Choppy waters out there. Lots of fog. Help us, Lord.